As Rick was reading, you may have been asking yourself, why did he stop there? Why, why would you end on that note? Renew us, renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Why would you stop there? Well, that's where the book of Lamentations ends. The prophet Jeremiah has been uh, writing this prayer, this lament about the fall of Jerusalem. He'd prophesied about it before, right? He'd warned people, hey, look, you've got to turn back to God. You are sinning. You're sinning so much you are worshiping uh, foreign gods and idols, and you're doing it everywhere. And you have to repent. You have to turn back to the Lord. You have to come back to Him. Because what's going to happen is He's going to bring His justice in. And there were false prophets that were going, no, 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 no. Jeremiah's got it all wrong. This is Jerusalem. We are God's people. This is the promised land. And we are the promised people in the promised land. God would not send us out of this land. God would not conquer Jerusalem. No one can conquer Jerusalem. It's never been done before. And Jeremiah said, don't listen to them. Don't listen to those false prophets because the Lord has spoken and He has said, because you are unwilling to repent, I am going to defeat you. I am going to bring uh, the Babylonians in and they are going to wipe you out and they are going to drag whoever's left off into captivity. That is going to be how this goes. Jeremiah had warned about that. He'd prophesied about it in the book of Jeremiah. You can read it. It's not necessarily a fun read. But there's all the prophecies as he's warning people over and over again, you have to repent. Okay, it's too late. Now just give in to what's about to happen. It's going to go better for you if you just trust the Lord and accept his consequences than if you think, along with these false prophets, that you are somehow going to resist these consequences. And he watched Jerusalem fall. 18 months of siege. It wasn't quick. It was long and drawn out and painful and people were starving and doing all kinds of horrible things to try and survive. And Jeremiah watched it happen. And he watched the city get overrun. And he watched the city collapse. And he watched the temple of the Lord collapse. And even though he knew it was coming, even though he prophesied and warned that it would come, he watched it happen and went, Ah! Which is what I think the name of Lamentations is. It's that guttural, heartfelt cry of pain. And we are taking a couple of passes through the book of Lamentations for four weeks. 
We're not doing them chapter by chapter, verse by verse as we have in the past, but rather pulling threads out that find their way all the way through. Themes that we see woven through the book of Lamentations. So last week was facing the brutal facts. What are the brutal facts of our uh, pain and suffering? What's really happening here? What are the true losses coming to terms with what's actually going on? Then there's complaining. Turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have taken stock and I've seen all of the loss and I've seen all of the suffering and this is what's going on. How long, O Lord, must this go on? Why is this happening? These are things that you hear even uh, in Lamentations 5, right? Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? It's the complaining about what's happening, complaining to the Lord throughout the book of Lamentations that we see, and then uh, turning to the Lord, saying, okay, God, I see this as coming from you. You're in control. You're the God who reigns in heaven. And so I'm going to turn to you knowing you're the one that can make it stop. You're the one who can relent. And so we turn to the Lord. And we, we can complain to the Lord and we must turn to the Lord in those times of pain and suffering, but then we always must come back and maintain confidence in the character of the Lord and in the future that he has promised. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. That in the midst of everything that's happening, in, in this case, the fall of Jerusalem, but in your circumstances, perhaps some other pain, some other suffering, some other trial that you are enduring. I want to bring us back to maintaining faith in the character of God and in the future that he has promised. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Lamentations 5, verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Jeremiah says, I know, God, that you are in control. You are not surprised by this. The Lord did not find himself going, What? The Babylonians took over Jerusalem? I should not have taken that nap. How could this have happened right under my very nose? They took over my house, my temple? What? The Lord is not surprised. The Lord has reigned for from ever for from forever to forever. That's a long time. He's never lost control, not even once, not for a moment. He always knows what's going on. He always knows why. In fact, this is sometimes the accusations that we will receive, those of us who trust in the Lord. People will say, okay, there is pain and suffering and affliction all the time. 
How can you believe that God is both all-powerful and good and loving? How can you believe that? Because he's reigned for, for, from forever and will reign to forever. He is in control. Sometimes we understand what the, the issue is and why the suffering is taking place. Sometimes we see that our sin has consequences. And very obviously we go, I did this really dumb thing and here are the dumb consequences that followed. I, for a little while, was a youth pastor, and I took kids to a summer camp, and uh, we were going down to the beach, and to get to the beach, you had to cross over a little wooden uh, log bridge thing. And uh, so they were crossing over, and they were going two by two across this thing, and I didn't want to wait. And because I was a young man who wanted to demonstrate to these high schoolers uh, how amazing I also was, I decided to jump over this shallow little creek thing. And I missed by about two feet. And I didn't think that would be a problem because it was just a shallow little creek thing with a sandy bottom. But my foot landed wrong and I rolled my ankle. And I spent the rest of the weekend leading this youth retreat from my back with my ankle up in the air, ice. It was a dumb thing that I did with dumb consequences and suffering to follow, right? Sometimes we see that very clearly. Sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes we don't know why the pain comes. Sometimes we don't know why the persecution comes. Sometimes we don't know why the trial comes. And in either case, we can lament to the Lord and say, Lord, look at what is going on. How long must we endure this? Because in the midst of our suffering, we still know that God is in control. He is deciding when and how much and how long. God is in control. In Lamentations chapter 2, verse 17, it says, The Lord has done what he purposed. He carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted, exalted the might of your foes. Jeremiah was not confused in this case about why this was happening. He'd already been prophesying about that. He had already been saying, this is what's going to happen and why. It is because of your sin. It's because you are worshiping all of these false gods and foreign gods. That's why this suffering is going to come. He knows that God is in control. And he knows that God is the one who is bringing it. And so it is to God that he goes to complain. Oh God, I knew it was coming. I warned them that it was coming. And Lord, it is here and it hurts. He knew exactly why. The Lord would follow through on his promises. 
And sometimes when the Lord follows through on his promises, those promises are the consequences of sin. He promises, I am going to bring these consequences when you sin. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 17. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. He's not confused about why. God is in control and God promised that this is what was going to happen. When there was sin, there would be consequences. And when they were stubbornly stuck in their sin, they were obstinately determined not to repent and turn back to God, then the consequences are very great. But yet Jeremiah cries out and says, God, I know that you are the one. And I know that we deserve this, but I'm crying out anyway because look at how awful this is. Look at how awful the consequences of the sin are. God will follow through on his promises. He follows through on the consequences of sin. He also follows through on his steadfast love, though. God has made covenants with his people. God has made promises to his people. And so Jeremiah recounts that in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20. My soul continually remembers it, and it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I do have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Right in the middle of the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah says, I know that we deserve this. I know that we sinned. I know we caused all kinds of havoc and, and problems. And Lord, that, that we deserved to have your punishment come. The, the just consequences for our sin come. We, I, I know that that should be that way. But I also know this, O oh Lord, that you love your people. That you have called them to be your people. And that your steadfast love is new every morning. And so, Lord, while we are here and while I am seeing this, I am going to, to wait here, Lord. I am going to wait here for your resolution. 
I want to live in that place. I think it's fine to complain as long as we're complaining in the right way and to the right people. I think that it is appropriate to repent of our sin and turn to the Lord when we find ourselves in times of trouble. But this is where I want to live. I want to live in this place where when there's pain, when there's suffering, when there's affliction, when there's trial, I stay here and I say, Lord, I know you and your character and that has not changed. I saw this in my grandparents. They had been through all kinds of different trials. And I remember sitting with them after church. We'd had lunch, and then we're sitting and having coffee in, in their living room. And there's just something about them that exuded this. This confidence in the Lord. This faith that God's steadfast love never ceases. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And they lived in that. Now, here's the problem. We love this verse in Lamentations. I think this one's everybody's favorite verse of Lamentations. In fact, if you were to ask somebody, do they know any verses in Lamentations? This is probably the only one they know. And we remove it from the context. And it's really easy when we are feeling at peace and we're feeling happy and we're feeling blessed to go here and go, wow, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. There's like sun outside and the daffodils are coming up and it's so wonderful. But when you're watching Jerusalem fall and people eat their own babies to survive, this is a different context. This isn't a smile, oh yeah, this is a, God, I am clinging to this. I am clinging to this because I've got nothing else. In chapter 2, remember th that he was saying uh, he turned to his lovers and they had deceived him? Those were all the false gods. All the ones that they had worshipped and flirted with while they were ignoring the Lord and turning away from him. All of those things, ideologies and, and places that we look for uh, hope and satisfaction, and then we hit the real times of trouble and we go, hey, hey, uh, love and satisfaction, where did you go? They deceived us. They were never going to provide us any real hope. They were never going to provide us any real comfort. They were never going to provide us any real satisfaction. It was just for the moment, and then it was gone. And when we find ourselves in that place of trouble, it's not there. And so when we find ourselves in that place of trouble, we cling to the Lord and we say, Lord, I am coming to you because I've got nothing else. 
And though the circumstances are this way, and though the, the others are maybe accusing me and saying, either the Lord is not good or he's not able, one or the other. Because you wouldn't be going through this. You proclaim to be a follower of Christ, and you're going through this. Either God is not able to save you from that, or he doesn't love you. No, Lord. I know that from the beginning, your love for your people has been everlasting. I know that you are faithful. I know that your mercies are new every morning. And I am going to depend on that. And Lord, I know that not only is your steadfast love faithful to your people, but that you are just. So he goes on in, in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 64 to 66. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them the dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. All those enemies of Jerusalem that were attacking, he's going, I know, Lord, I know that we deserve this and you brought them in to do this because it is just, but I also know that you in your justice are going to turn it back on them for being enemies to your people. And again, in Lamentations chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of earth did not believe, nor any inhabitants of the world, that a foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. The Lord is just. Somehow, I think that when we are enduring things that we are not happy about, whether we understand why those things are happening or we don't, we cling to these things. That the Lord has been in control since the beginning and will remain in control until the end. That his steadfast love toward those who love him never stops. And that in the end, it is just. His justice is sure. These are the things that we cling to. But we recognize that we may not experience all of the restoration and the fulfillment of his love toward us in this moment. That while we are in the midst of the pain, or while we are in the midst of the affliction, we may cry out and we may not get resolution right away. This is the mistake that those who accuse God of either being unloving or unable make. They think that if we ask that God should fix it now, after all, he's able. And after all, he loves you. And if he's able and if he loves you, why would he not fix it now? I don't know. But it's not his purpose. 
Sometimes it is. Sometimes he comes in and resolves it in a miraculous and spontaneous way. And we marvel and glorify the Lord. And at the times that he doesn't do that, we cling to his character and to the promises that he has given to us for a future hope. You see, Jeremiah is crying out at the reality of what's happening in Jerusalem and at the fall of Israel. He's crying out and he's lamenting what's happening, but he has prophesied not only that this destruction would come, but also a hope beyond the destruction. Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. If you have time later, I don't have time this morning, unfortunately, but if you have time later to read from Jeremiah 29 to Jeremiah 34, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Because in the midst of Jeremiah warning the people that if they don't repent, destruction is going to come in a way that they can't even believe that kind of destruction could happen in Jerusalem. In the midst of that, he says, and then here's what's going to happen later. The Lord is going to restore you. The Lord is going to bring you back. And the Lord is going to make a new covenant. Even though you broke the old covenant... He is going to make a new covenant with you. That's what's going to happen later on. So in Lamentations, he's crying out, but he has in the back of his mind that this future hope is still coming. It's just not reality yet. And the mistake that we make at times is that we want for or expect the reality uh, of the future blessing to happen now. We want the restoration and resolution to happen now. We want it to be a sitcom where at the end, smiles every time. 30 minutes. Conflict, resolution, smiles. Lots of laughs along the way. We don't get that. What if we don't get to go back? What if it doesn't resolve? What if it doesn't get fixed? Some of the things that I'm lamenting right now are the ways that we have to do things, right? Why do I have to have this? Why don't we get to see each other smile? Why don't we get to embrace in hugs? Why don't we get to have meals together, big celebrations? I want to do those things. What if it never goes away? 
How long, O Lord, must we endure? How long must we put up with this? Sometimes it's internal. Sometimes we, we feel the aches and pains in the body. How long do we have to put up with this? What if it never goes away? What if I never get to go back to my glory day? What if I never get to play pickup basketball again? It may not happen now. It may be a really long wait. Jeremiah didn't get to see it happen. He prophesied, he warned, he watched the fall of Jerusalem, and he told people about a future hope that he never got to see happen. He never got to see people come back into Jerusalem, and he never got to see the new covenant enacted, but we get to see that. We know that later Jesus came. We know that, that a remnant returns to Israel. But that ultimately, the promise was fulfilled in Jesus, who came to enact a new covenant, not like the first covenant, which was broken by his people, but a new covenant put where the law was written on our hearts. And Jesus told his disciples, look, I am making a way for you to come to God, and I am going to leave you to prepare a place for you. This is not our home. People want to deceive us into thinking that all the time. They want our identity to be here. They want us to be fighting about things to have to do with this place and our home's not here. We're just living here waiting for home. Jesus has gone, uh, uh, John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's where we're going. This is the hope that we have. This is why when people say, hey, your God either must not care or must not be able to resolve your situation, we go, actually, he's already resolved my situation. Physically, I'm still dealing with this, but ultimately, I have a hope that you don't have. It's beyond your hope. You see, if all we have is here and now, if this is our home, then the pains that we deal with, we need resolution for now. We need it to be fixed now. Because if they don't get fixed now, they will never be fixed. But we know that God's steadfast love never ceases and he is with us from now until the end, and in the end, we will be with him forever. So our hope is, in the, is there. Which is great, because physically, my glory days are behind me. I don't think it's going to improve from here. Our communities... I hope that there is reconcilia reconciliation and restoration, but our glory days may be behind us. It may not get better from here. But our hope is in the eternal 
so that in the midst, we can just pray. Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and that those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we have a Holy Spirit living within us that is helping us to cry out as we go, Oh, Lord, how long and why? And then that reminds us that we are the children of God. Predestined, called, justified, and glorified in him, with him, forever. And now we live as foreigners in this place. We know where our home is. We know where we're headed. We know where we're going. We just live as foreigners here. Residents of another place. I'm not going to read it to you right now, but Jeremiah 29, God is telling his people, look, the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to take over, they're going to drag you off into Babylon, and what I want you to do while you are there is I want you to live like citizens there. You're not actually citizens there, you're citizens back here, but you're going to live like citizens there, you're going to pray for your communities, you're going to serve in your communities, you're going to build houses in your communities. These are the things that we are doing here. We aren't deceived. We're not confused. Our hope isn't here. We don't expect the pleasure to be here or the joy to be here or the satisfaction to be here, but we are going to live here. We are going to pray, intercede on behalf of our communities and pray for their prosperity, pray for their blessing, but we are going to model a sense of peace and steadfast hope in the character and promises of the future that God has made to us. Jesus has prepared a place. And we will go to be with him. So that at this time, in this place, whether now you're dealing with something that you just feel is so lamentable and are feeling that place of pain, or whether that may come in the near future or in a couple of years. I want to urge you to stay in this place where our confidence is in the character of God. I'm reminded of uh, David in 1 Samuel. He knew why the suffering had come. He had committed sin with Bathsheba. There was a child that was on the way that he had been told that child is going to die and he lamented and he prayed and he fasted. And he said, oh Lord, please, 
spare the child. In fact, when the child died, because of his state of depression and um, mourning, even before the child had died, his servants were afraid to tell him what had happened. And then when they told him, he got up, he washed his face, and he sat down and he ate. And they said, Time out. While the child was sick, you wept and prayed and mourned and fasted, but now that the child has died, now what is this? And this is what he said. 2 Samuel 12, verse 22. While the child was alive, I fasted and I wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead, and why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David knew. He had complained to the Lord. He had cried out to the Lord and turned to the Lord. He had repented of his sin, and he was waiting now. And he says, I have full confidence in the Lord, in his sovereignty and in his love and in the future that is promised to me. Which is why we end in Lamentations chapter 5. But you, O Lord, you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Renew us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and remain exceedingly angry with us. I know that there is a future hope. And so, Lord, I pray that you would restore us. But if not, yet will we praise the Lord. Yet will we, we remain committed to him. When we lament, we face the brutal facts. And we complain to the Lord because we know that he is in control. And we turn to the Lord and cry out to him because we know that he is in control. And ultimately, we rest in the knowledge that God is good, that he is in control, and that he has promised us a glorious future, even if we're not experiencing it yet. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help in staying in this place. We know that ultimately to find the true peace and to understand the height and depth and breadth of your steadfast love and mercy 
we must first acknowledge the brutal facts that surround us. And Lord, when we recognize what they are, you have given us place and space to vent our frustrations and complain to you. Lord, you have given us means by which to turn to you. You have given us the Holy Spirit who cries out on our behalf, who enables us and helps us to pray as we ought to pray and intercedes for us. You have given us Jesus, the high priest, who has uh, made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and reconciled with you so that we do have a glorious hope for the future. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would give us that deep sense of peace, the abiding sense of peace, with the full knowledge that you are in control of how long, how much, and we will wait for your restoration. And we will glorify you today and tomorrow and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.